Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy, and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. My name is Tree Song, and I'm flying solo today, uh, or is off in the field uh, working on some solar. So he often does that. <laughs> Sometimes it ends up being on a Friday. So there's there's a there's a chance he'll call in, but he's probably too busy installing solar, which is a you know which is a good thing, even though we miss out on him for this half hour. All right, so let's see what we've got today. Uh, I do have a special guest here in the studio hanging out with me, but I think she's just going to hang out. It's her first time being in the studio while I do the show, but she's shown her support by being here. <laughs> Maybe we'll get her to say hi a little later in the show. <laughs> yes. In the meantime, we will get to some of the news. We've got some interesting news stories today. I mean, I, I suppose we always try to have interesting news stories, but this is the first I've heard of this happening. Pennsylvania Ecosystem Fights Corporation for Rights in Landmark Fracking Lawsuit. So the ecosystem itself is fighting for its rights. <laughs> for the first time in the United States history, at least that we know of anyway, an ecosystem, a watershed to be exact, has filed to defend itself in a lawsuit. The suit aims to reverse a local ban on injection of fracking wastewater. Little Mahoning Watershed in Indiana County, Pennsylvania, recently filed a motion to intervene in a lawsuit to defend its own rights to exist and flourish. But wait a minute, watersheds can't have lawyers or speak, so how can one defend its own rights? And do watersheds even have rights? The Little Mahoney Creek waterway flows through the Grant Township, where elected officials unanimously passed a Community Bill of Rights Ordinance in June of this year. This ordinance declared that, quote, the rights of human and natural communities to water and a healthy environment, including what's commonly called, quote, the rights of nature. The ordinance states that any legal action to defend the rights of ecosystems or natural communities shall bring that action in the name of the ecosystem. This gives the Little Mahoning Watershed a kind of personhood within Grant Township and gives authority to the township's attorney to litigate on the watershed's behalf. I mean, that's really interesting. Like, we've talked here before about the whole idea of corporate personhood. Like, corporations seem to get to call themselves people from a legal perspective. So it actually makes more sense to me to have a watershed call itself it's a person because, you know, it's actually full of living things. This is an interesting case. We'll see how this goes. Uh, Despite the township's ordinance, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, uh, which regulates injection wells, issued a permit uh, to in August to inject fracking wastewater in Grand Township within Little Mahoning Watershed. So all 200 residents, it's a small town, all 200 residents in Grand Township rely on private water wells for their drinking water. The Grand Township Community Bill of Rights establishes the rights of nature and the community's right to self-govern in order to protect groundwater from the documented risks of underwater waste injection. So here's a quote from one of the residents. You can live without a lot of things, but you can't live without water, said resident Judy Wanchism in an interview with Public Herald. Wanchism has lived in Grant Township for 59 years and co-founded East Run Hellbender Society, a group of residents fighting to protect their watershed. 
Her home is about one half mile from the injection well site proposed by PGE. So that's really interesting. I mean, we, we've talked, like I said, we've talked to you before about legal rights and legal identity for corporations, though they're trying to use that same principle to protect an ecosystem. It, it remains to be seen. I mean, the EPA has issued a permit to do the injection anyway, but they are contesting in court. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that story. And, you know, all of us may find out soon whether or not ecosystems, watersheds actually have rights. I mean, I think it, I think it'd be a good idea. <laughs> like that, like the person said, you know, if, if you, we all need water. So let's all get some water. All right, let's go ahead and get to another story. This is one about the climate talks. Now, I realize I don't think we actually mentioned this last week, but these climate talks are just starting up again. These, this talk is in Lima, Peru. The climate talks find an enemy at COP20, the fossil fuel industry. The UN climate talks in Paris next December are shaping up to be high noon for the fossil fuel industry. Over the last week, negotiators in Lima have been working on the draft of a new climate agreement that world leaders hope to ratify in Paris. Up for debate is everything from forest management to climate finance. The text is complicated, as you might imagine. It's sprawling, and it's a jungle of acronyms and jargon. But one theme is emerging loud and clear. If the world is serious about addressing the climate crisis, we must get off of fossil fuels completely. So yes, this is a new, this is a new frame for the climate negotiations and it's revolutionary in its implications. I mean, this is something that a lot of people who are community activists, grassroots activists have talked about the need to, uh, the need to do fossil fuels or you need to do something about fossil fuels. But here they are at the actual UN climate conference, all of the representatives of the governments. And now they're saying themselves that we need to do something about fossil fuels. The last time the world attempted to finalize a climate treaty was in 2009 in Copenhagen. I know we talked about that a lot on this show. Uh, so they back then, the debate revolved around managing greenhouse gas emissions and the percentage reductions that rich countries were willing to commit to. Or as it turned out, unwilling to commit to. <laughs> the talks were a debacle. They kind of just fell apart. And, you know... Nothing has been done since then other than talk about it a little bit, so they're trying to pull together a treaty. While countries still play a central role in the negotiations, a new actor has taken stage, the fossil fuel industry. On Wednesday, the Associated Press ran a piece about how a zero-emissions goal has been quickly gaining traction, with over 100 countries adopting the target. So, you know, this isn't just, like I was saying, this isn't just people... uh having the idea, well, maybe this is something we do. There are a hundred countries now that are adopting as a talk, as a target to get themselves on zero emissions and to stop their use of fossil fuels. I mean, that's pretty big news. That's, I don't understand why this isn't on the headlines of all of the newspapers in the world. You know, our primary source of energy for probably about a century has been fossil fuels. And now a hundred countries are saying that we need to go to zero emissions. Big news. It'll be bigger news if they actually pull it off. <laughs> so the new frame of ending fossil fuels is important for a number of reasons. One is that it strengthens the carbon bubble argument. We've got this argument that, yes, we are getting a lot of economic and 
you know, economic and electric power from using fossil fuels. But it's a bubble. There's a limited amount of it, and there's a limited amount we can burn without ruining our climate. So it's basically a bubble that at some point is going to pop. It also builds the case for fossil fuel divestment. If we have hundreds of countries that are deciding we shouldn't be using fossil fuels, then why not have institutions such as colleges, cities, you know, governments divest from fossil fuels? Because if we need to stop using them, then stopping investing in them would be a good step in that direction. So it also highlights the importance of iconic fossil fuel fights. Now, for a while, you know, a lot of people were deciding what to do about the climate. And they would say, well, you know, yeah, fossil fuels contribute to it a lot, but it's fossil fuels. Everybody uses that. We can't actually fight against fossil fuels. But then... Little by little, people have been doing these campaigns. The divestment campaign, there was a lot related to this at the recent People's Climate March. So actually coming out and saying, yes, we are going to reduce or eliminate our use of fossil fuels, that can be a big deal. And finally, it also turns the Paris Climate Talks into a movement moment. I mean, it's by movement moment, they mean like a moment when the movement can gain momentum and have like an iconic struggle to fight for. Because, you know, if you're talking about, as grassroots activists, that you would like to stop using fossil fuels, and then all of the world governments in Paris are also talking about that, that gives you something really strong to organize around. You can pressure all of your local governments to work on ending the use of fossil fuels. So this, I mean, I've read a couple of articles about this cli- this climate conference that's going on. It's, it's still in process, so it's not entirely sure what's going to come out of this one. But the goal is to come out with a draft agreement that a year from now will be ratified, in theory, (laughs) in Paris. So we will definitely keep you tuned on how it goes. Listening to Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio, WDBX 91.1 FM, Community Radio for Southern Illinois. Let's get to some more news here. 
This one is titled, The Supreme Court Has No Time for BP's BS. Earlier this week, the U.S. Supreme Court denied BP's request to take another look at the settlement it reached in 2012 to pay thousands of people and businesses harmed by its 4.9 million barrel oil dump in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. It's hard for people to even comprehend that, you know, that many millions of barrels of oil are just flowing out into the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, people in the Gulf of Mexico can comprehend it a little bit because they've been dealing with the fallout. BP wanted to argue to the highest court in the land that some of the claimants seeking damages from the company in relation to the Deepwater Horizon explosion and spill can't convincingly link their losses to the mega-disaster. So in August, the oil giant filed a petition attacking its own multi-billion dollar settlement, which included pleading guilty to manslaughtering 11 workers and lying to Congress about how much oil was spilling. Now this is like, so basically they... They went to court, and in order to avoid being prosecuted, they made this settlement. And now that they've made this settlement, they're going back to court and saying, no, the settlement isn't good. (laughs) They don't actually have a right to this money. So they agreed to this, and now they're trying to fight it in the court. But the Supreme Court of the United States won't even give BP a chance to make its case. In fact, the justices didn't even remark on their refusal to hear the appeal. (laughs) So the Supreme Court was just like, no, not going to even go there. Not going to even talk about it. You made the settlements. You got to deal with it. <laughs> In the wake of the spill, BP has spent more than $13 billion settling claims by individuals, businesses, and government entities, and another $14 billion plus for response and cleanup. The settlement that BP is trying to get out of doesn't have a cap for how much the company might have to pay out, but BP estimates that it will spend about $9 billion to resolve the claims. So far, it's ponied up about $4 billion, according to FuelFix. So I I bet that's one of the reasons why they're trying to get out of it. If there's not a specific cap, they're probably worried it'll just go on forever. (laughs) They should have thought of that before they destroyed the entire Gulf of Mexico with their pollution. Earlier this week, legal blogger Tom Young wrote a post encouraging all types of eligible Gulf Coast state enterprises, those not in the casino, insurance, banking, or real estate industries, to get evaluated by an attorney who's navigated the BP claims process. Quote, One would be hard-pressed to identify too many Gulf area businesses that did not endure some loss, small or large, that related in some way to the disaster. That said, less than 30% of all eligible businesses have filed claims. Of those who have filed, the average payment exceeds $100,000. So if you know anyone, uh, you can spread the word if you know anyone who was affected by the Gulf oil spill, and isn't already filing a claim against BP, there are people out there they can talk to to do that. And it, it's a lot of people have gotten compensation for it. And BP's trying to weasel its way out of the last compensation, but people are still working on it. Even churches and nonprofits might be able to claim some compensation. The deadline for filing is expected to be set for June of 2015. Now, I don't think that the payouts represent the end of this endless saga, though. Dishing out a bunch of money to people affected by the spill is nice, but the wrongs won't be righted that easy. These days in the Gulf, BP is alleging that the spill is all cleaned up, but the Coast Guard begs to differ, and geochemists have found that some 2 million barrels of crude are still trapped in the deep. Meanwhile, Alabama is putting $60 million in restoration funding toward rebuilding a beachfront hotel destroyed by Hurricane Ivan. 
I guess otters, tuna, dolphins, and other wildlife will have to file their own claims to some of that settlement cash. Well, we've got an ecosystem trying to settle its own lawsuits, so maybe the otters will too. Here's an interesting story. A green utopia deep in Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. Not exactly the eco-capital of the world. The city's wastewater disposal has the attention of the EPA. Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant is a big fracking supporter. There's no glass recycling within city limits. I mean, we, we take that for granted in every place I've been to. Uh, and so on. But longtime organizer Kali Akuno has a vision. He and a hundred plus volunteers want to turn the hard scrabble city of roughly 170,000 into a marvel of sustainability and social justice. Akuno is co-founder of Cooper- Cooperation Jackson, a community network that aims to solve the city's most intractable issues. Poverty and unemployment, racial and economic injustice, food access and industrial pollution. They intend to solve these through developing a series of cooperatives that radically reimagine how people live and work. Cooperation Jackson, less than a year old, is one of the pilot communities of the Our Power Campaign, an effort launched by Climate Justice Alliance. And its end goal, like CGA's end goal, is to transition out of fossil fuel dependence by supporting localized economies, low-income communities of color, and the planet all at once. See, this is something I often talk about when I get the chance. You know, it's people often try to pit these different values against each other. Like, oh, we've got to deal with poverty, so we have to do all of these bad environmental things. Or, oh, we've got to save the environment, so we don't have enough money left to, to help out the poor. You know, really, there are a lot of creative solutions out there that help all of these problems at once. Akuno has impressive backgrounds in community justice work. He works with such coalitions as the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and the People's Assembly. He started a school serving low-income African-American and Latino youth in Oakland, California, and he's the former co-director of U.S. Human Rights Network, among other things. City of Jackson may soon pass a human rights charter that Akuno was part of initiating. But he's especially jazzed about Cooperation Jackson's mainstay, the Sustainable Communities Initiative. The plan is to buy up abandoned land and dilapidated properties and organize them into a community land trust. On it, there'll be an eco-village, a group of green homes where people can share tools and facilities, making it both planet-friendly and affordable. There'll be urban gardens, including hydroponics, uh, waste management and recycling systems, childcare, arts center all run by community-owned cooperatives that will be paying jobs to local residents. That sounds like a good solution for everyone. Now, it's still in progress, so we don't have all the details on how it's going, but I'll definitely keep an eye on that and let you know. I could see stuff like that happening around here in southern Illinois, too.
Well, good stories like that help us be an optimist about all this. <laughs> Got one more quick story here, and then we'll get to the holidays and happenings. Uh, I was hoping I would have Orr read this one, but Orr isn't here today. But I've heard that a local author has recently published a climate fiction ebook. Uh, I actually just recently published a climate e- fiction ebook. It's called Goodbye Miami. We've mentioned once or twice on the show here that I had a Goodbye Miami blog. It's the story of a American climate refugee in the year 2030. And it's now available in ebook form. You can check it out at goodbyemiami.com. And even though it's, it focuses on Miami, it also includes a lot about Southern Illinois. Cause I'm kind of sneaky that way. I find a way to <laughs> include Southern Illinois in a lot of my writing. Just cause I, I like to. So there you have it. Goodbye Miami. Well, let's get to some of these holidays and happenings. I, it's often, I often don't know what some of these holidays are. Poinsettia Day is an obvious one. You get poinsettias. National Dingling Day, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> but today is National Dingling Day. Saturday is Ice Cream Day. Ooh, I haven't had ice cream in a while. And Violin Day. So you can play your violin and eat some delicious chocolate ice cream. Sunday is International Children's Day. Very important to do whatever we can to help children in the world. Also coming up on Monday is Bill of Rights Day. Now, we just recently celebrated the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And here in the U.S., we have something called the Bill of Rights that a lot of people in our government don't seem to know about (laughs) that protects our rights. Ooh, Tuesday is National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Now, I wouldn't say quite anything. It should be a food item, something edible. But National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. And Thursday is Baked Cookies Day. So some exciting days coming up this week. Speaking of exciting, we also have some exciting events coming up. The Carbondale Community Farmers Market. It's happening on Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon at the Carbondale Community High School. Now, you may have noticed it's a little chilly out there. They have moved indoors, so you don't have to be huddled out in the sub-freezing temperatures while you're picking out your veggies. So it's 9 a.m. to noon at Carbondale Community High School, all sorts of good veggies. They also often have other arts and crafts and other things there. It's a good time. Also coming up this weekend, the AIDS Project is seeking gift wrappers. On Sunday from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m., they've got certain shifts available. It's over at Barnes & Noble in Carbondale. The AIDS Holiday Project is seeking volunteers to wrap gifts Sunday. Lieutenant Governor... Uh, Sheila Simon, Jackson County Board Member Paulette Kirkin, and the First Presbyterian Church in Carbondale Youth Group, and other volunteers will all be there to wrap gifts at the bookstore. So it's a star-studded cast that you can be a part of. The tips will benefit the Southern Illinois AIDS Holiday Project. There are a few hour-long ships, shifts still available. Uh, there will be a book fair on Sunday to benefit the project as well. You just have to mention the Tri-State Alliance Book Fair and... Uh, for more information, you can contact Wally Painter at wallypainter at aol.com. Now that's painters with a P-A-Y-N-T-E-R. That's a good cause. Let's see what else we have coming up. We have the Transportic Playground. 
this is always an exciting event. Transportic Playground. After long traveling adventure, the Transportic Playground has found a new home. Transportic is meeting at Gaia House in a faith center on the first and third Tuesdays for the rest of the year. Guy House invites all to share some poetry or simply enjoy the performances. It's uh, it's really fun having it in this new space, um, and it's an opportunity for people to perform or to listen. If you don't really perform, you can come and listen too. Uh, there are two simple guidelines: food and alcohol are welcome, but make sure that you know there's no guarantees they'll be there. Uh, there's also a meditation event until 8 p.m. in the downstairs. So if you come after. If you come before 8 p.m., sorry, you can come in the upstairs door. And there are also people who will often share a potluck aspect, but the main aspect is performances of poetry and spoken word. So if you have any to share, you can gather together, bring it and get it ready for the event on Transpoetic. It's coming up on Tuesday at 8 p.m. at Guy Haas Interfaith Center. You close your eyes Does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? Spirit Day is coming up. This is a global meditation. It's coming up on Sunday, December 21st at 5 p.m. at the Labyrinth Peace Garden. You're invited to join in a global meditation on December 21st. It's actually at 5.03 p.m. Central Standard Time, but, you know, they're going to get together at 5. Uh, this is creating a moment of global family unity. The local meditation will be held at the Carbondale Peace Garden, weather permitting, they plan on having blankets to shield participants from the wind if it's a cold and windy day out there. There will be a reception with hot chocolates that will follow the event at Guy House, which, as you may know, is right next to the Labyrinth Peace Garden. So that sounds like a fun event. I hope they stay warm out there. All right, well, this has been another exciting and informative episode of Your Community Spirit. If you have any questions or if you'd like to receive our newsletter, you can email us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org. In the meantime, is, is our special guest still not one to go and say hi on the air? Uh, you could. There's still time. <laughs> no, she's, she's happy to say hi from over there in the other corner of the room. <laughs> but I'm glad, I was glad to have some company here in the studio. Anyway, we will see you here next week on the radio. Called your uncle, said we're up here for the holiday. Jane and I were having solstice, now we need a place to stay. 
And her Christ-loving uncle watched his wife hang Mary on a tree. He watched his son hang candy canes all meet with red dye number three. He told his niece this Christmas Eve, I know our life is not your style. She said, Christmas is like solstice and we miss you and it's been a while. So the fish jumped on our peg and sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground, I felt that they were able Just before the meal was served, hands were held and prayers were said Sending hope for peace on earth to all their gods and goddesses The food was great, the tree plugged in, the meal had gone without a hitch Till Timmy turned to Amber and said, is it true that you're a witch? His mom jumped up and said, the pies are burning And she hit the kitchen And it was Jane who spoke She said, it's true, your cousin's not a Christian But we love trees, we love the snow The friends we have, the world we share And you find magic from your God And we find magic everywhere So the Christians are not big and set together at the table Finding faith and common ground that says that they were raised. And where does magic come from? I think magic's in the learning. Cause now when Christians sit with pagans, holy pumpkin pies are burning. Tried to do the dishes Her aunt said, really, no, don't bother Amber's uncle saw how Amber Looked like him and like her father He thought about his brother How they hadn't spoken in a year He thought he'd call him up And say it's Christmas and your daughter's here He thought of father's sons and brothers Saw his own son tug his sleeve Saying, can I be a pagan? Dad said, we'll discuss it when they leave so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground at best that they were raised Lighting trees in darkness, learning Lewis from the old And making sense of history and drawing warmth out of the cold 